Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Let's pray. Father God, um, thank you for this man. Thank you for Ronnie. Thank you, thank you for how he leads all of us so well, Lord. I pray you would uh, continue to refresh him and remind him of uh, just how special he is as a leader and as a friend. Uh, continue to use your, your truth in his life, uh, for example, to the rest of us, Lord, that, that uh, refreshing others will help ourselves be refreshed, Lord. So I thank you for the way he models that, Lord. Thank you for this time we have together today. God, would you speak through Ronnie? Uh, to give us a glimpse of, of who you are, that we may show that to the world. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. And good morning, men. Uh, man, it's exciting to be, to be here this morning with you guys. It's exciting code to work as well. Um, let me share a quote with you. When it comes to the sins of others, all right, when it comes to the sins of others, I love to focus on God's justice. But when it comes to my sin, I love to focus on God's grace and mercy. Can any of you guys relate to that other than me? This is the audience interaction time. No, yeah, thank you, thank you. Is this thing on? I heard John Ortberg say those words over two decades ago, like 30 years old. And can I tell you something? As a 50-year-old man, I still struggle with that statement, the truth of that statement. And according to Jesus that we're going to see this morning, this is not a new struggle. Because in the parable we're going to learn about today and dive into today, this morning, Jesus told over 2,000 years ago to a people group living in a completely different culture and, and, and a completely different way of life, yet same struggle as us today. You know what that common struggle is? We are all born with a sin nature, which means not a single one of us, if this is your first week and you're like, man, this is weird, or whether you've been coming here a long time, not a single one of us has to try to sin better or more often. None of us have to try that. We all were born with a sin nature, which means that what we naturally have a bent toward is sinning. All right? That's the common uh, similarity and struggle that we have with the same people group 2,000 years ago. And Jesus uses today's parable, however, to call people to an unnatural, countercultural way of living way of life. So this morning we're going to be in the gospel book of Luke chapter 18 verses 9 to 14. Chris referenced it. I encourage you to op open that up and, and have that ready. My, in my Bible, it, it, it titles this parable, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the more I have reflected on this passage the past few weeks, which I can give a 
quick side note and say when Jesus talks about meditating on his word, there's one thing to read it. There's another thing when you meditate on it and keep coming back to it. And as I've been reflecting and meditating on the truth of this parable, it's amazing the different prongs that have kept popping out at me. But the more I've reflected on it, the more my spirit has been awakened to this truth. I can Pharisee up more than I'd like to admit. I can Pharisee up more than I'd like to admit, and that'll make a little more sense here in a few moments. But thinking back as a kid, and by the way, I'm just trusting lots of context here because I'm very grateful for my spiritual upbringing. My mom and dad taught me about Jesus at a young age, and I had many other Sunday school teachers and youth leaders. I mentioned Dave Stone was my first youth minister growing up. So I have a lot of people that taught me a lot of positive qualities about who Jesus is and Jesus' way of living. So I don't want to discount or, or, or be sarcastic against that. However, the more I've been reflecting, and you know, I share this in the spirit of you can't improve on what you don't understand. And so this isn't blaming, but it does affect my perspective. They taught me many, oper- many positive qualities, but at the same time, it was like there was this spoken and more so unspoken, uh, even these unspoken rules that made it extremely easy for me to produce a posture of legalism and performance Christianity type of a mindset. Like, I'm a good Christian if I do this, I'm a bad Christian if I don't do this. Um, The kind that makes it easy for me to painfully, uh, to relate painfully well to this Pharisee that we're going to learn more about this morning in this parable. And what I mean by that as a kid growing up, there was this weekly checklist that was always ongoing. You know, it was a yearly checklist that was broken down by week, if that makes sense, really by day. And it went like this. It was uh, read my Bible every day, pray every day, um, go to Sunday school every Sunday morning, go to church every Sunday morning, go to church every Sunday night, go uh, to church every Wednesday night, and on Sundays, uh, no running in the sanctuary. You can run down the fellowship hall, but not in the sanctuary You laugh, but I got yelled at for doing that once. Uh, No hand-raising during worship because only people who are trying to get attention um, and putting on a show do that. Tithe 10% of my gross income because you want a gross blessing, not a net blessing back. No cussing, no gambling, no smoking, no drinking, no premarital sex. Sure, I'm missing a few things, but you get the point. And when I'm checking those things off, I'm a good Christian. And by the way, you know, you heard me say, read your Bible every day, uh, pray every day. There was no emphasis on, you know, how you're praying every day. It's just, hey, pray and you get credit. And I remember two specific things our church did that I'm sure. At, at some board meeting, like the why behind these was pure and good. But in hindsight, as I reflected, there were two things my church did growing up that were weird. For instance, we had Sunday school, which if you're like, what is Sunday school? It was like the, the spiritually elite appetizer before church. All right, that's what it was. There was a bell that rang 
uh, kids through adults that meant, hey, Sunday school's in session, and then the bell rang. It was like, we're done learning. Uh, Sunday school at our church, we had these perfect attendance buttons. Anybody grow up have those? Hopefully you're not wearing them because it's going to be really awkward. Well, each year at our church, they would literally uh, call up everyone, and there was no scouts honor. I mean, this was like, if your attendance is, is tracked. Um, and they would call us up once a year, anybody up on stage once a year who had perfect attendance, meaning like, hey, no tummy aches, no phone-ins, like even on vacation, you had to tell them like, hey, I went to Sunday school uh, in Florida, and, and you get credit. And they would call us up. And the first year you had perfect attendance, you would get this button with this cross on it, which meant you're big time. And then that was like signifying that you have had one year of perfect attendance at Sunday school. If you had two years of perfect attendance at Sunday school, they would give you this pin that fastened to the main pin, if you're tracking with me, and it said two years, and so on and so forth. There was this lady, Mrs. Fishback. I'm not making this up. She had over 55 years of perfect attendance of Sunday school. She'd come up there proud as a peacock, and, and you know, it was like the, you know, college getting a diploma shake and they would pin it on she had this thing it was like (laughs) this thing made a five-star general look pin naked I mean this thing was awesome she had pin game I mean to brag but I had some pin game myself I was uh developing a pretty strong pin vibe once a year, and I'd be honest, man, I'd be sitting there and be like, this is awesome. And I'd go up on stage, and I'd make contact with my four-year-old, my brother who's four years older than me, who didn't have pin game. It's like, eat it. I had more pins than even my mom. True statement. In your face. I was winning. I was winning. I had developed a pretty strong pin game. And now I think about it, God must have been pretty, pretty impressed with my pen game. <laughs> Sunday school perfect tennis buttons. That was weird. There was a second thing. And again, the motive behind these things was good. But legalism can creep in. When I was in seventh grade, beginning of, beginning of January, our church um, threw out this church-wide challenge for, hey, we want, we want to challenge you to read your Bible cover to cover this year. And anybody who does it, anybody who does it, and this was Scout's Honor, we're going to call you up on stage and give you an award at the end of the year. We've got this plan. They, each day, you essentially read three chapters a day, and there's a box that you check each day. And they say, we, we're going to give you an award at the end of the day. Well, that, that carrot was enough for me. I was like, I'm in. I'm in seventh grade. I start reading three chapters a day. Full disclosure, most days, as soon as I was done reading those three chapters and checked it, if you had said, hey, man, tell me what you just read, I couldn't have told you. But I checked it off because I read it. And I remember being called up on that stage as a seventh grader before I hit my growth spurt, so I was like, there, right? And they called me up on stage. I was the only kid. It was all 
gray hair and no hair people up on the stage plus me. And they handed me the certificate that might as well have said, congratulations on being our youngest up-and-comer Pharisee. And I grabbed that certificate and I strutted back to my seat. Those two things were weird. On all levels. Yeah, I can Pharisee up more than I care to admit. This morning we're going to jump into God's word in Luke chapter 18. Six short verses, but man, they are power-packed and they have the, the potential to transform, at the very least, greatly sharpen our posture towards acknowledging and approaching God. And I want us to jump in and in verse 9, Jesus is with a random crowd of people. And anytime you have a random crowd of people, you have men, you have women, you're going to have some children, um, kids of different ages, and you're going to have a variety of ages, different personality types, you're going to have different backgrounds, right? I mean, it's a random crowd. And Jesus is basically saying here in verse 9, he's basically saying, to whom it may concern. It's not literally what he said, but that's essentially what he's saying. He's calling out specific specifically who needs to pull out their journal and take extra detailed notes. That's, that's how I read verse 9. Because he says this, he says this, he says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. To some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at the common people. To some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. To some who treated, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. To some who treated others with contempt, Jesus told this parable. Now, I don't know where you are this morning with all of this, but if you have ever, but if you ever find yourself uh, thinking confidently in your own mind regarding how righteous you are if you ever find yourself looking down and judging people for whatever reason with a superior posture if you ever um, find yourself being complacently pleased with the moral performance checklist of spiritual disciplines if you ever find yourself taking your eyes off the cross and the fact that you are a sinner who deserves to spend eternity in hell separated from Jesus, if you ever find yourself thinking that someone else needs Jesus' forgiveness more than you do, then you may be guilty like me of being this to some who Jesus was talking specifically to and about. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Pause real quick and let's define these two terms. A Pharisee was a strict, I emphasize strict, rule follower. He's the guy who comes to church wearing a suit, nothing wrong with that, but him wearing a suit ain't good enough. He has to scowl and check out everybody else's wardrobe and he shakes his head at the, at the dude that walks in and sweats in a ball cap. And if that dude does not take his ball cap off during prayer, <laughs> don't get that Pharisee started. 
Pharisee is the guy who is driving out in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, and comes to a four-way stop with no one in sight, not even animals. And he doesn't just slow down and look both ways. He comes to a complete stop, like complete wheel lock. Why? Because that's the law. Strictly followed rules and kept score of everybody else. That's a Pharisee. Tax collector, back in this day, back in Jesus' day, a tax collector was sort of his own appointed IRS. Um, He made his living based on how much margin more than what he was supposed to collect that he collected from you. That was how he made his living, uh, commission-based. And he was up He was in control of his own commission. There was no set standard with specific tax brackets um, like we have today. Uh, So a tax collector could collect taxes from you and me based on whatever criteria um, he wanted to make up. He had a lot of authority around collecting taxes. I mean, he could have you thrown in prison if you refused to meet his demands financially. And all sorts of things could affect that tax collector and his perspective of how many taxes you owed him, how he slept the night before, if he was walking out the door that morning and his wife yelled at him, um, if he was a diehard UK or, or Notre Dame fan and he lost a lot of money the previous weekend on the game, if he had a kid getting ready to go to college and he realized that he hadn't properly prepared his kid's 529 EDU account, to meet inflated prices um, if he didn't like your haircut or your man blouse. Like, there was no rules for the tax guy. So it could greatly affect how much taxes he required you to pay. So it's not hard to imagine that what's going on here is, and Jesus knew Pharisees and he knew tax collectors and the perception of both, right? So it wasn't on accident that Jesus told this parable about these two specific, distinctly um, type of guys. Two distinctly different guys, they swim in very different lanes, and yet neither one is well-liked, so they have that in common. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, the the uh, Christian Standard Bible says, says it this way. The Pharisee was standing and praying about himself. God, I thank you. Man, if only this Pharisee had stopped right there. He was so close to having a right prayer posture. Right? God, thank you. I thank you. If he had stopped there, man, it would have been like, man, this guy knows how to pray. However, he didn't stop there. He goes, he keeps going. And it's because he didn't stop there that I believe that Jesus tells us that this Pharisee was standing by himself, a.k.a. alone, because you stand, you don't stand next to someone who has a superior posture, right? James 4, 6 instructs us that God opposes the proud, and guess what? So do you and I. You see, so it's proud people, it's like, repellent and so Jesus tells us that he was standing by himself and he says God I thank you that heart of gratitude here that I am not like other people 
God, you know who I'm talking about, those next level sinners, big time sinners, the ones that really count against a person. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector right here. I mean, can't even fathom someone saying that out loud. And then verse 12, I fast twice a week, even though I'm a foodie, and I give a tenth of all I get, even though I like my stuff, I love you more. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I, all I have. Now, pause right there for a minute it is a parable but imagine if I came out into the crowd you men this morning and I shoulder tapped you right if you're you imagine I'm shoulder tapping you right so I'm shoulder tapping everybody you can breathe I'm not going to do that but imagine I shoulder tapped you and I said hey man come up on stage I want I want to pray I want to pray for you and you're going man I've heard Ronnie sends these audio prayer text man, this is, this is going to be awesome. All these guys are going to hear this prayer. And then you come and you stand right next to me and you put your arm around me and I say, oh, hang on a minute. You're too close. Go stand over there. Let me get ready to pray. Pray. I need some room. And you're still like, okay, no big deal. And then I start, God, I thank you. I thank you. God, I thank you for how you have fearfully and wonderfully made me. I mean, you really took your time. You did not cut any corners. You really knocked it out of the park on me, God. I thank you for showing me how to be faithful with my body. Lord, you know I have never been with another woman other than my wife, Tish, starting on our wedding night. Unlike this perv, who's been a womanizer. And God, I thank you for making me honest. You know, I've never robbed anyone of anything on purpose that I'm aware of. You also know that you can't trust this dude further than you can throw him. He has sticky fingers, and we all know he cheats on his taxes. We just don't know the specifics. And God, thank you for, for making me holy. Because you know how your life turns out if you take part in evil doing. Right? And I thank you for making me generous. You know I only make $50,000 a year unlike this guy who's three, four times that without bonuses. You know that I sacrificially give to your church. We go to Panama City Beach instead of 30A so that we can give more to you, Lord. Unlike this dude who conveniently always forgets his money clip in his car before he comes in for church. And you know I'm a foodie. But I thank you for the privilege of depriving myself of food two times a week. We all know this guy is cheating when he says that he's fasting two times a week because we know his fasting is really intermittent fasting and he's doing it to lose weight. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Now, we laugh at that. 
But that's essentially what this Pharisee is doing without a punchline. And imagine you're just being humiliated all while you have your head bowed to the ground. Now imagine you've just had this happen to you. And your response to this prayer is you pull out this prayer cushion, you get down on your knees, and you say, God, Ronnie's not wrong. I am a wretched man. I am a sinner saved only by your grace and only by your mercy. Have mercy on me, Father, a sinner. That's all you say, and you go back to your seat. Man. Verse 13, it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus goes on to tell us in verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. He went home with peace and grace and forgiveness for all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted I shared the first part of James 4 6 a few moments ago that God opposes the proud but there's a second part of that it says but he gives grace to the humble Jesus is contrasting two distinctly um, two distinct postures for approaching God from two guys who both have struggles. One posture, selfish, harsh, prideful, judgmental, legalistic. The other posture, humble. One posture opposes, God opposes. The other posture, God gives grace to. Now, if we just read that and quickly jumped to a conclusion, we would naturally think that, okay, Ronnie, I get it. The takeaway for today's parable is simple with two clear choices. I can either choose to be prideful like the Pharisee or I can be humble, at least in that moment, like the tax collector, right? Wrong. Here's why. As humble as this tax collector in this parable is, this tax collector is not our model Jesus is. First John 2, 6 says, anyone who claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walks. And so let's zoom out and let's contrast not this Pharisee with this tax collector's posture. Let's zoom out and let's contrast what we've just learned about this Pharisee's posture with Jesus' posture and what Jesus modeled because he's our model. Jesus, this is, this is crazy when you think about it. The things that this Pharisee prayed, Jesus could have accurately prayed. He could have been right. He could have prayed publicly, Father, thank you that I am not like anyone else, 
any of these people. Because guess what? There is no one like Jesus. There never has been nor ever will be. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted like us in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That is who Jesus is. He is sinless. He is like no one else. But Jesus didn't focus praying in public, these eloquent prayers. Scripture tells us over and over again in the Gospels that often, while it was still dark, Jesus withdrew to solitary places, solitary, lonely places, away from the crowds, and prayed privately. Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. As we read the Gospels, the devil and many others tried over and over again to get Jesus to exalt himself in different moments while here on earth to prove his power, to prove his authority while here on earth. Yet Jesus modeled the opposite of what people were trying to force him to model. He modeled humility and he modeled compassion. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that he was, he was just moments away from being brutally tortured and crucified, he could have made his prayer focus about himself like the Pharisee did, yet that's not what he did. In Luke twenty two forty two, 42, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. He was honest, he was authentic. He said, yet not my will, but yours be done. Fast forward. He's now been brutally flogged, and which, by the way, um, many people did not survive a flogging because of how brutal it was. So he's survived this flogging. He's had people laugh and speak. Bit. I remember Chris a couple weeks ago said, man, I don't know why it got me so much, but like when people spit at him. He's been spit at in his face, up close. Then he, he's been struck in the mouth by people. He's had a crown of thorns, not politely, gently, like smashed down on his head. And people with a stick hitting it, just the prongs. And now Jesus is hanging on the cross with people cracking jokes at him. Even another even a criminal who's been crucified next to him. How does Jesus respond to this? In Luke 23, 34, he says this. He says, Father, forgive them. Them, the people who flogged him, the people who spit in his face, the people who were hurling insults at him. People who were saying, hey, he's going to tear down the temple and all this stuff. He can't save himself. Like, that's who he's praying to God for. It's not just for his mom and his followers. He's, following, he's praying for the very people that called him up on stage like the Pharisee to mock him. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing even though really they did know what they were doing. Or at least they were doing it on purpose. 
Friends, this is why we refer to the gospel as good news. Because Jesus is good news. Great news, actually. And hear this. Even when I Pharisee up, even when you Pharisee up, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you so much that even in those moments, he died for me. Even when I, as a seventh grade boy, hopped up on stage with a strut in my step because I wanted people to know I'm impressive. Even when I had these perfect attendance badges and got excited for all the wrong reasons, Jesus died for me. In many respects, that is what the heart of prayer is. It's declaring Jesus, you are and you can while simultaneously acknowledging Jesus, I'm not, and I can't on my own. You know how humbling that is for men who are problem solvers and fixers and get it done to acknowledge, man, I, I'm not. I'm not it, and I can't. But at the same time, you know how freeing that is? The heartbeat behind this parable is to help you and me and hear this, this is not intended for us to leave this morning with our tail between our legs going, man, I stink. Let's be honest in evaluation, but the heartbeat behind this parable is to help you and me develop the right posture for approaching God. Because let's not forget this tax collector, he wasn't looked up to. But in that moment, he had a right posture to approaching God. When I realize and keep my focus daily on the truth that what I deserve on my best day and my best moment as a sinner is to be damned to spend eternal, eternal life, eternity in hell, totally separated from God. But because of Jesus, he gives me exactly what I do not deserve, which is grace. Friends, when I, when I keep my focus there, it leads me to a, a posture of humble repentance, not one of pride, not one of judging, not one of walking around with spiritual superiority, but a posture of humble repentance. I referenced Sunday school when I was a junior in high school, in Sunday school. A lot of good stuff happens in high school, by the way. Uh, Bruce, Ecker, Bruce, uh, Bruce Willingsley, he had this poster on the wall and it said this, and I, and I still I, I remember exactly what it was. It says, it's impossible to lose your footing when you're on your knees. It's impossible to lose your footing when you're on your knees. And that's more than a bumper sticker. When I'm on my knees with my gaze on Jesus and the cross and what I deserve, I'm telling you, I'll tell you what I'm not doing. I'm not keeping score of other people and judging others. I'm not looking down on everyone else. 
who thinks and acts differently than me. I'm not praying against people. I'm not puffing up my ego and my pride. Side screens, man challenge. That's what we call this. It's man challenge. And so I'm going to give us a man challenge today, myself included. On your way out, gone on the side, in the back, got these prayer cushions, um, or we want them to be used for prayer cushions. They're not intended for gardening, although you could use them for that. Here's the man challenge. For the next seven days, I'm going to challenge you to set your alarm seven minutes earlier than you normally do. Seven days, seven minutes. Well, why seven? Okay, 30 minutes, whatever that number is, but seven for seven. I want you to set your alarm seven minutes earlier than you normally do. And I want you to have this easily accessible. And I want you to grab your prayer cushion. I want you to get on your knees physically. I want you to start your day by finishing this prayer sentence. God, out loud. God, you are. And I want you to focus about seven minutes on just finishing that prayer sentence with God, you are. God, and, and focus on his attributes, who he is to you. God, you are creator. God, you are freedom. God, you are unconditional love. We just finished the fruit of the spirit. You can go through, pray through those because God is all those things. God, you are love, joy, peace. You are patience. It's amazing what can happen when we declare and keep our gaze on declaring who God is. It doesn't remove all of our problems. It doesn't mean all of a sudden everything's rainbows and butterflies, fellas. But there's a reason when God instructs us in Psalm 46:10, be still and know that I'm God. Because he knows in this world you're gonna have troubles of many kind. And the enemy's gonna use all these troubles to kill, steal, and destroy and to get you with a legalistic posture. All the, he knows all these things, which is why for the next seven days, for seven minutes, we should focus on who God is. It's amazing the difference God can make when you change your posture and your focus from your problems to his promises and who he is. This is man challenge and we all need accountability to grow. Not asking this in a legalistic way. But if you will say yes and accept this man challenge starting tomorrow, I want you to stand and remain standing. If you're like, I can do that. I'm going to do that. Not can do that. I will do that. This isn't peer pressure. We're not looking down on anybody. If you're like, man, I'm, I don't even know who this Jesus guy is. Uh, I mean, we're, we're glad you're here. But if you stood and remain standing, I want you to look around this room for just a minute. Don't look around to see who's not standing. Look around who's standing. All right, here's the deal. Unlike the Pharisee, you're not standing alone. God's for us doing this. You're not standing alone for the next seven days, for seven minutes. Let's declare, start our day by declaring who God is. Let me pray for you, amen. Lord, thank you for every man 
who's standing. I praise you for every man who's sitting. Celebrate every man that's in this room. Lord, for those who are sitting, I pray that, you, that there wouldn't be an ounce of shame or false guilt as they walk out of this room. In fact, I pray they'd be encouraged in their presence being here. Lord, for every man that is here and is standing, Lord, I pray that um, come next Tuesday and Monday that we would keep this commitment. And God, I ask that you would honor this posture that we're committing to you. This isn't about us. It's all about you, Father. But I pray that you would use this as a spiritual breakthrough, breaking through any forms of legalism, breaking through any, any of just the stuff that's not, that's not Jesus, and that you would strengthen, that you would begin a new form of intimacy between each of these men and you as a direct result of this. So thank you for being for us doing this. I thank you for the courage and the privilege to do it. It's in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media. 